here, it's leading the gospel choir. There we go. There's the sound. Usually when I'm here, it's to lead the gospel choir. So uh, here in a different role, but uh, glad to be here and share the word of God with you. To all the fathers, happy Father's Day. Uh, this is your day. I think uh, in significance next to the day of my salvation, which is a glorious day, which I remember well. And the day I got married, the Lord blessed me abundantly with Catherine, my wife of uh, almost 24 years. Next month will be 24 years. I think in significance, the next import in importance was the day he made me a father. So I recognize and honor you fathers on this, uh, your day. I want to call your attention to the word of God, Luke chapter 8. The gospel according to Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, came to Jesus, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see. And hearing, they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity that you give us to hear from you. Oh Lord, we pray that you would give us, by your Spirit, ears to hear what your Spirit says. Grant to us hearts and minds that are receptive and open to your voice and willing to obey. Do your work in us. 
but we want to be so careful to give you all the honor, glory, and praise for what you will accomplish in this place at this moment. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I think of Father's Day, I think of my great-grandfather. I was raised by my great-grandparents. My uh, great-grandparents took me in as an infant. My parents were teenagers when I was uh, born. And so uh, uh, I knew my mother. Uh, she was around. I did not know my father. I knew who he was. Uh, thank God I met him uh, nine years ago. And uh, he lives in Washington, D.C., where we'll be moving in a month and a half. So for the first time in my life, I'll be close to my, my biological father. Uh, but I was raised by my great-grandparents, so my great-grandfather was my father. He's been gone now for 25 years, and I have many good memories of uh, growing up in my great-grandparents' home. It was uh, a loving home, a, a good home. I, I, I have no complaints. God blessed me with some good people, Christian people, who loved the Lord and feared God, and uh, grateful for that. But one memory that I have of my great-grandfather is how he loved gardening. He loved his flowers, planting his flowers. He, he loved his grass. Every kid that grew up in our neighborhood knew Mr. Gray. Get off my grass. <laughs> he, he loved, don't step on his grass. He loved his grass. And he loved his vegetable garden. Most of our backyard was taken up with uh, uh, his vegetable garden where he raised the vegetables. And... Uh, you know, most of the people in my family, when I think about it, had vegetable gardens. Most of the people in my family, the older ones, uh, were born in the South. And you can take a person off the farm, but you can't really take the farm out of them. And uh, so they brought some of the farm with them. And so everybody had a garden. Everybody raised uh, vegetables in their yard. And following in the footsteps of my folks for the last 19 and a half years that we've been in our current house, most of those years, uh, I've also planted a vegetable garden. You know, you can learn a lot from gardening, from dealing with plants and seeds. There are many object lessons that can be taught from the land, from a garden or a farm. Jesus, ministering in a largely agrarian culture, chose an illustration that was familiar to the people, farming, to teach an important lesson to his followers. Jesus had been ministering in the region of Galilee. Verse 1 of chapter 8 of Luke says he was proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. When according to the uh, parallel accounts that we have of this, this scene, the parallel accounts in Matthew and Mark, uh, according to those accounts, he comes to the Sea of Galilee. And that's the scene, that's the setting for this parable. A great crowd gathers from all the surrounding towns. And it is to this crowd that Jesus tells this parable that I just read. Luke tells us in verse 8 that while he was speaking to them, as he was saying these things, he called out to the crowd, he who has ears, let him hear. Each of the synoptic accounts of this parable record Jesus' use of this phrase. And we find when we look at every recorded instance in which Jesus uses this or a similar phrase, even in the book of Revelation, where Jesus is, is, is quoted by the uh, Apostle John, he uses a similar phrase there. Each time it is a call attention to important truth that was hidden or veiled by the language used. 
So it is no wonder that after Jesus told his parable, his disciples came up to him to ask him, what, what does this parable mean? And the synoptic gospel writers record for us Jesus' explanation. And that's what we're going to look at in detail here, Jesus' explanation of his parable. Verses 11 through 15 of the passage I read is Jesus' explanation of his parable. And in this, Jesus teaches his disciples and he teaches us the importance of the word of God and the necessity of a proper response to it. The importance of the word of God and the absolute necessity of a proper response to it. Look at verse 11. Now the parable is this, says Jesus. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. You see here, the word of God is essential for salvation. The word of God is essential for salvation. Just four observations from those two verses. First of all, I see here, verse 11, the seed is the word of God. Jesus tells us in this parable that the seed that the sower was sowing represents God's word. You might ask, what is the word of God? In this context, it is the message that Jesus was preaching. He was preaching the message of the kingdom of God. That is the message that the kingdom of God, that the prophets, Old Testament prophets had foretold, had arrived. It was at hand. It was here. And he was preaching that he himself is the promised one that the prophets had foretold. But when you consider uh, that the entire Old Testament focuses on the promise of a coming Messiah, going back to the book of Genesis, the entire Old Testament anticipates the coming of Messiah. And when you consider that the New Testament, which at this time had not yet been written, is about a Messiah, a Christ, who has come, in reality, this, this phrase, the word of God, applies to all of Scripture. It's talking about the Bible. It's talking about the Bible. The seed is the word of God. It's Scripture. Second observation I see here is that this word of God, which is the seed, is the seed from which Christian life grows. That's in verse 12. Jesus tells us it is this word of God which is sown in the human heart and which, when believed, results in salvation. But thirdly, I see in these verses, without the word of God, there is no spiritual life and no salvation. That's the implication of verse 12. 12. Jesus tells us the birds in the parable who devour the seed that has been sown along the path are symbolic of the devil who comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. In other words, the devil takes away the word of God from those who hear the word of God because he knows without the word of God there's no belief and therefore no salvation. The word of God is is essential for salvation. Without it, there's no spiritual life and no salvation. You might ask, well, I thought we were saved uh, by faith in Christ. We just, we just, it's, it's just about Jesus. We just believe in, in Jesus. 
It's not about the Bible. It's believing in Christ. And that's exactly right. We are saved by believing the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm sure you're familiar with that. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5.21, I think this better encapsulates the gospel than John 3.16. Paul says, for our sake he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we, who know nothing but sin, might become the righteousness of God. Or 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, bring us into relationship with God. Or Romans 10 and 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is God, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's, that's the gospel, is what the apostle Paul called the message of Christ. Romans 10, 17, Paul tells us, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But note this, apart from the word of God, apart from scripture, written revelation from God, we have no way of knowing the gospel. You can't just pull down the gospel out of thin air. We get the gospel from some place. It comes from the written word of God. Without scripture, we wouldn't know the gospel. And therefore, there would be no salvation and we would die in our sins. Which leads me to a fourth observation, also in verse 12. Because the word of God is necessary for spiritual life and salvation, the devil actively works against people hearing, believing, and receiving the word of God. The text tells us the seed which falls along the path and is trampled underfoot, which, which speaks to the carelessness and the indifference of some of the hearers, that this word is also eaten by birds. And that represents those who hear the word, but the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. I think it's interesting to note Jesus believed in the devil. Jesus believed in the devil. Do you believe in the devil? You should. I hope you don't think yourself smarter than Jesus, more enlightened than Christ. He believed in the devil, he spoke of him as real. And Jesus reveals to us that the devil actively works to keep people from believing the word of God so that they may be saved. And when we look in the word of God, we see that that has been the devil's modus operandi. It's, it's been his way of operating since the beginning, since Genesis chapter 3, when he asked Eve, did God really say, hath God said? He was questioning God's word. First time the devil appears in scripture, he's questioning the word of God. And he has not changed his ways. He still operates the same way. Even though we have now the prophetic word more fully confirmed, as Peter said, recorded and preserved in scripture, the 66 books that we know as, as the Bible, he still works the same scheme that he worked with Eve. And he will do anything to keep you and me from God's word. You can be sure of this. The devil does not want you to read the Bible. That's why it's so much easier to do anything else but 
read the Bible. That's why it's so much easier to criticize the Bible than to read the Bible. Most of the people putting down the Bible reveal by the criticisms they haven't read the Bible. Most of the people that know judge not prove by what they say about that they haven't read the rest of Matthew 7. They haven't read the Bible, but they can criticize the Bible. It's much easier to do that than read it because the devil is at work keeping us from Scripture. And if you somehow manage to read it, he'll tempt you not to believe it. And there are seminaries across the world that are filled with professors teaching the Bible who don't believe it. There are pulpits across the world that are filled with preachers preaching the Bible who don't believe it. I know that for a fact because I was in a denomination where people didn't all, not everybody in the pulpit believed it. And they were pretty open about that. If you were careful to listen, they know how to say it so that the careless listener doesn't realize what they say. But if you're careful to listen, they don't really believe it. And why does the devil do this? Because if he, know, he knows that if he can keep us from the Bible, he can keep us from God. If he can keep us from the Bible, he can keep us from salvation. If he can keep us from the word of God, he can keep us in our sin. Misery loves company. He's on his way to hell. He doesn't want to go by himself. He actively works against people hearing, believing, and receiving the word of God. The word of God is essential for salvation, and therefore Jesus tells us, don't forsake it. This is verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. The seed that, that, that fell on the rock actually fell in soil. You know from planting a garden that seeds can't grow without some kind of soil. But it's shallow soil because just under the surface is a, a layer of, of rock. And so plants that grow in this rocky soil can't develop a full root system. And without a full root system, they can't gather the moisture needed to grow and, and develop and, and produce fruit. This rocky soil, Jesus says, represents those who believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. They, they, they believe with joy. They receive the word with joy. They, they are excited. They raise their hand. They, they sign the card. They come forward. They go to alpha class. They they, they, they pray the prayer. They receive the word with joy. But in time of testing, they discover that the Christian life is not easy. And they discover that the, the world is going in one direction and uh, the Christian life calls us to go in the 180 degree opposite direction. When they, when they, when they learn that uh, not everybody's going to like you if you follow Christ. You're not going to be necessarily popular, that you're going to go against the, the, the trends and the ways of, of culture, and you don't want to be unpopular, you don't want to be disliked, you want, don't want people to be angry at you, to, to think wrongly of you. So he, he says, when, when the pressures of this world bear in upon them, in the time of testing, they fall away. What Jesus is teaching us here is that a true Christian faith lasts. True Christian faith lasts. It doesn't fall away. The word of God is essential for salvation. Don't forsake it. Don't fall away. 
But also, don't usurp it. Don't usurp it. Verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Jesus says some folks hear God's word, but they allow the things of this world, the cares, riches, and pleasures of life, to smother and choke out the word of God in their lives, rendering it to no effect. You see, the word of God is in danger of being smothered and choked when we allow our cares and concerns, when we allow uh, people and circumstances, when we allow our possessions and and pleasures and riches of this world to loom larger, become more important, more significant, more influential in our lives than God's word. It chokes out God's word. God said, you shall have no other gods before me. Anyone or anything we allow to come before God, take priority over God, has become our God. He said, you shall have no other gods before me. But I want you to know, if we allow anyone or anything to come ahead of the word of God, ahead of scripture, that has also become our God. And he said, you shall have no other gods before me. Jesus says in another place, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. But when we allow other things to take precedence in our life, We do not fulfill Jesus' words there. When we love other things more, we can't love God fully. Does it seem strange to you that I would equate Scripture, Bible, with God himself? That I would put Scripture on the same level as God? It shouldn't. It should not sound strange at all. That's how God wants us to regard his word. Jonathan Lehman, who is an elder at Capitol Hill, Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., where my family and I will be uh, uh, joining in about a month and a half. Uh, He wrote a wonderful book called Reverberation. I encourage you to look it up and get it and read it. Uh, Reverberation by Jonathan Lehman. But he says within that book about this point that I'm talking about here, he says the first thing to realize is God's word is an extension of God himself. To hear his words that comprise the whole Bible is to hear him. To obey his words is to obey him. To ignore his words is to ignore him. God invests himself in his words. That is, God so identifies himself with his words that our response to his words is our response to him. I also like the way theologian J.I. Packer puts this. Packer says, the life of faith and obedience is founded on the recognition that what scripture says, God says. And Christ is not truly Lord in a man's heart till scripture has been made Lord of his mind and conscience. If you would honor Christ and his father, therefore, bow before Holy Scripture, in which the Father, through the Spirit, bears witness of his Son. To do this, says Packer, is not superstitious bibliolatry. It is pure and true religion. It is mere Christianity. 
That's what Christianity is all about. I like what old, one old preacher I used to see on TV many, many years ago now. He used to say, and I think he was right, we know God as much as we know his word. We love God as much as we love his word. We believe God as much as we believe his word. We obey God as much as we obey his word. The word of God is essential for salvation. Don't forsake it. Don't usurp it. Allow other things to dislodge it from its place of prominence in your life. But Jesus also tells us to hold fast to it. Hold fast to it. Verse 15. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Sometimes I'm watching the clock so much, I don't stop to take a drink of water because I'm worried about losing time. I remember last time I preached at Christ Church Lake Forest, half of my sermon I was thinking about water. I just wanted... <laughs> so I just take a drink of water because I get dry. But he says, hold fast to it. The good soil, in contrast to the rocky soil was not shallow. It had no rock underneath, and so roots were able to grow down deep and receive moisture and nourishment from the ground. The good soil, in contrast to the soil with the thorn bushes, was, was weeded and cleared of any other plants that would choke out the potential life springing from the good seed. The people represented by the good soil not only hear the word, but Jesus tells us three characteristics about these people in verse 15. He says they hold the word fast. They hold it fast. They grab hold of it. They don't let Satan, the devil, snatch it from them. Secondly, they have an honest and good heart. They respond to God's word with righteous obedience. Thirdly, they bear fruit with patience. That is, their, their lives produce Christian fruit. Their lives evidence the character of Christ. Their lives give evidence that the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, lives within. And you know where, where Christ lives, he will give evidence of himself. Christ cannot live within and not give evidence that he is there. He will leak out. He will show himself. The old folks used to sing the song, if you got it, that old-time religion, you ought to show some sign. If you know Christ, you ought to show some sign. There ought to be some fruit. And we know this when we look at Jesus' words elsewhere. John 15, Jesus said this. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. It doesn't remain in the vine if it doesn't bear fruit. This is John 15, verse 4. Jesus says, abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. I believe that's a picture of hell. That's a picture of God's condemnation and judgment upon the lost sinner. If you do not bear fruit, you're taken away 
and thrown away as a branch and burned in the fire. Verse 8, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Without fruit, there's no proof that you belong to Christ. You can say anything, but the proof is in the fruit. By your fruit, you shall know them, said Jesus in Matthew 7. And then John 15, verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. This is the reason I chose you. I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. That's the reason I saved you, that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that it should last. It should not wither and fall away. So we see from Jesus' own words, no fruit, no faith. No fruit, no genuine Christian faith. There's no such thing as a Christian who does not bear fruit, Christ's fruit, holy fruit. Which leads us to a warning. If we back up in our text to verse 9, verses 9 and 10, Jesus uh, pronounces a, a stern word to his listeners. Look at it, verse 9. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. I wish I had time to go into uh, that verse, but what he's saying here briefly is we have no natural ability to receive the word of God. Did you notice Jesus' choice of words? To you, it has been given to know. We have no natural ability to receive the word of God. It's a given ability. Not natural, supernatural. Given by God. Given by the Holy Spirit who dwells within all who truly trust Christ. And that's the truth we see throughout all, all of the New Testament that we have no natural ability in ourselves to accept or receive God's word. By nature, our minds are blinded to the gospel, and by nature, we are spiritually dead. And just like a dead person can do nothing, a spiritually dead person can do nothing to achieve their salvation. Spiritually dead person doesn't know, doesn't know God and doesn't want to know God, doesn't know his word and doesn't want to know his word. Well, what, 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 what can he do? Something has to act upon him or her to change that circumstance. It's just like in farming and gardening. Uh, you, you take some land. You, you, you can't grow anything there. You have to cultivate the land. You have to remove the grass and the weeds and the trees. You have to clear the land and make it suitable for the seed so that the seed can grow. It needs someone to act upon it. The land needs someone to act upon it to make it suitable for the seed, act upon it from without. The land can't change itself. We can't change ourselves. Someone has to act upon us from the outside. It's a God-given supernatural ability given by the Holy Spirit of God that we can understand and receive and believe the word of God and be saved. It's out of our hands. It's in God's hands. But the second thing I notice is because the ability to believe and receive God's word is God-given, that means it's a dangerous thing to ignore 
or be indifferent to or reject God's word when he sends it. He doesn't have to send his word. And that's what Jesus is referring to. He was quoting from Isaiah 6 after the call of Isaiah. And Jesus was commissioning, I mean, God was commissioning Isaiah to go preach to his people, to go speak his words to his people. But he said, understand this, they're going to hear, but they're not going to understand. They're going to see, but they're not going to perceive. You're going to speak and preach to them, they're not going to listen to you, Isaiah. How long should I preach? Isaiah asked God. He said, preached until destruction comes. This is a word of judgment. Jesus said to his disciples, he's explained the parable to his disciples, explained to them what what it means. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but to the rest, to the rest of this crowd who's following me for who knows what reasons they were following the Lord, maybe just to watch the show. They weren't really interested in what he had to say. They weren't really interested in him as Messiah. They weren't interested in, in bowing before him as Lord. To the rest, hearing They won't hear and understand. Seeing, they won't perceive. It's a word of judgment against the rest. And Matthew tells us, in recording of this same parable, he tells us that Jesus, from that point on, he spoke to the crowds in nothing but parables. Nice stories, but it doesn't mean anything unless you explain it. He explained it to his disciples. To the crowd, he explained nothing. He just told it to them in parables, left them in the dark on purpose as judgment. You don't want to hear what I say. I'll make it so you won't be able to hear. You won't be able to understand. You won't be able to believe. You have to understand God doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't owe us salvation. He doesn't owe us his word. He owes us no revelation. Only thing he owes us is judgment and condemnation, eternal condemnation. That's the only thing God owes us. Therefore, when God, by his grace, brings his word to you, you ought to listen. You ought to pay attention. You ought to receive it. You ought to believe it. You ought to obey it because he doesn't have to give it to you. When we sit and hear the word preach, it's not a time to sleep. It's not a time to daydream. It's not a time to look at our electronic uh, computer device. It's a time to listen to the voice of God because God is speaking. In America, we take so for granted the, the, the written word of God. In other countries, they don't have access to Scripture. When they get Scripture, they, they, they love it. They cherish it. They cling to it because they don't have the word of God. They treasure it so much. And, and most of us just have dozens of Bibles at home and most of them we have to clean the dust, the, dust them off because we don't look at them. We don't appreciate the word of God. God says, be careful. I might make it so you can't receive, so you can't understand, so you, so you won't even care. It's a dangerous place to be in where you don't care. A lot of people don't care, and that's God's judgment that they don't care because he doesn't owe us salvation. It's all of grace. And when he speaks, we ought to listen. We ought to take heed to what he says. The word of God is essential for salvation. Don't forsake it. Don't usurp it. Hold fast 
to it. Remember that it's a dangerous thing to hear the word of God. It calls for a response. There's something we need to do. There's something we need to pay attention to. We need to listen because God is speaking. So what kind of soil are you? Are you that careless soil, the the seed thrown along the wayside that's trampled underfoot, eaten by the birds, indifferent to the word of God? Are you the shallow, uncommitted uh, listener, the rocky soil, no deep roots? You're you're with Christ as long as he's with you in the way you want to go, but when you want to go a different way, you're ready to throw Christ and the word of God under the bus. A lot of people are doing that today. That's a great danger in our society today, to throw the word of God under the bus for the sake of pleasing the trends of society. Or are you the one that usurps the word, allows it to be choked out by other cares and concerns? Or are you good soil, receptive, open to the word of God, ready to receive, drink in the nourishment that comes from God's word, clinging to it tightly, not letting it go, ready to obey, ready to follow whatever God says? How shall you respond? I urge you as the prophet As the psalmist wrote, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Listen to the voice of God. Listen to his word. Receive his word. Believe his word. Obey his word. Walk in his word. Eat his word. Feed upon his word. Gain your nourishment from his word. Dream about his word. Daydream about his word. Live his word. May it be your nourishment. May it be your life and your health. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word of truth. I pray, Lord, that by your spirit, you would write it deeply upon our hearts. Give us, Lord, minds to to desire it and treasure it and grasp it and take it and retain it and feed upon it. And then by your spirit, Through your word, do your work in our lives to transform our lives and make us like Christ. Grant this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.